All right, welcome to the RCR podcast. I'm Nick. I'm Brian. And we're back after a pretty tiring Thanksgiving weekend. Well, <laughs> tiring for me anyway. I don't know how. It's just, when you're surrounded by children a lot, it get, your energy is sapped straight from the marrow. It's My family's old. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, well, how was your Thanksgiving? We had salmon. We didn't do a turkey this year. Huh. Family's dying. Huh. So it's just my nuclear family and uh, my mom's friend and my Uncle Jim. Hmm. So that's it. So you had kind of the, the Thanksgiving where you could actually eat relatively uh, clean in a manner of speaking clean well i mean like okay so you have salmon which is kind of like a lean meat or yeah sort of thing whereas you know i'm having like turkey and mashed <laughs> potatoes and everything and you know i've i've been putting work in to you know shave off some pounds but this i have just no willpower yeah whatsoever it was, a, it was thanksgiving. a lean thanksgiving yeah the um yeah it was salmon a lot of brussels Brussels sprouts, which made a lot of farts, and uh, eh, some pudding. It, it was a very light Thanksgiving, yeah. Mm. Um, and then yeah, I did laundry and then came back here. A uh, bunch of things to talk about. I saw Blade Runner, and I also went to the Jalopnik uh, Hurricane Relief uh, car show out in Newark yesterday. Um which was probably the last big trip in my MR2. Because I said it on Twitter, I am selling it because the car's too nice. Yeah. And I hardly ever drive it. And also I found driving that car for more than an hour, I'm just too big for it. And also you just hear the engine right behind you the whole time. If it were a worse MR2, like in worse shape, I wouldn't care. And then that would mean it would be a fun autocross machine. But this thing, I've... People have heard me say this before, but because it's so nice, I can't. It's it's that one shirt you never wear because you got to keep it nice. Yeah. Oh, um, I know it. It's the one if you have a nice pair of shoes that you never wear and you kind of don't really care about them. But they're the, they're the one nice shoe. But because you never wear them, they never get broken in and they always hurt just a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's how you know they're the good shoes. <laughs> they, they hurt. It's like with Listerine, you know. That's how you know it's working. It hurts. Yeah. The um. So I got a tweet back from Bring a Trailer. I'll make a video about selling it. And what I'd like to do is what uh, Farah did with his DeLorean live stream the last five minutes of it. Yeah. Um, which may turn into the last uh, thirty minutes because you can't snipe a Bring a Trailer auction. If someone bids within the last minute um, or the last two minutes or maybe even the last five minutes, um, it bumps it up another five minutes. It just keeps the auction going until someone bids and then no one else bids for five minutes or maybe a minute or something like that. And uh, or maybe it's even 20 minutes. I I listened to uh, the Farrah podcast when he was selling his DeLorean and it was nerve wracking because it's like, is someone going to bid or not or something like that? And then it keeps going. It's like, no, is it going to make it? I forget the final price. But you, it, it keeps going like that. We ought to like have someone else uh, to be there. I want to hopefully bring a trailer will work with me so that I can have it end on a certain day. Yeah. Realistically, it should probably end on a Thursday, 
when people aren't out and partying because when I sold stuff on eBay or old camera equipment, that's the time to have it end. Yeah. 8 p.m., your time zone, or maybe like 8 p.m. Yeah, like have it end maybe 9 p.m. Pacific or something like that. Which is midnight for us, eight, more or less. 8, 9, 10, 11, that's 11 p.m. us. Mm. Yeah. Maybe 7 p.m. Pacific to make sure everybody's home. Everybody's home from work. Everybody's at their computer. So um, it would have to be like a Thursday night. Probably do it here. Um, it'd have to be on YouTube. And um, either I may have to get a webcam or just use the crappy webcam that's in my laptop. Yeah. And just be doing that. And it would probably have to be like over there or something so we can see the monitor. And I'll pull some chairs over there or do it somewhere else. I don't know. Anyway. So I uh, drove the MR2 to Newark, which is a probably a three, almost a three-hour drive. Because you're going almost to New York City. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's 78 all the way. Garmin decided it wanted to go look at the ghetto on Ooh. the way. So it kicks you off the Garden State Parkway way early. So I got to drive three the glorious miles. Through Newark. Gretchen the Garden <laughs> that takes you through the ghetto. Uh, On a cold and gray Chicago morning. <laughs> yeah, but it's, well, aren't you at a, a place where you could kind of replace Gretchen by now? And all I have to do is get on off? Ting and get a phone. I'm going to get an iPhone SE, which is the last iPhone, the most advanced iPhone you can get that still has a headphone jack. Mm -hmm. And I'll just pay for it outright and call it my business phone. And that'll mean I'll have Google Maps or Apple Maps, which is a lot better. I have to sneeze. Bless you. Times two. Yeah. Saw a lot of nice people. Uh, saw Patrick George. I saw JF Musial, but I didn't feel like doing the thing like, Hi, I'm regular Um I'm thinking, is he going to recognize it? It was my, the first time, like, eh, he didn't recognize me. But then we have no dealings with J.F. Musial outside of the uh, the New York Auto Show. Yeah, we ran into him at the New York Auto at the corner. Yeah. And then, you know, um, and it was all of, you know, two minutes right. waiting for the light to change. Right. But it was uh, the first time that we had seen him since the uh, that new york auto show after party that we went to the first right. year that we went to the auto show oh and how pie-eyed i was then oh man they're giving you free, free bands? Bands? and just all this other stuff you know actually the beer wasn't free i don't think but no. still I, I mean <laughs> uh i how how excited i was i barely slept that night we were staying at Corey's apartment so we can get a good we can get the early yeah, bus at yeah. 6 a.m well, it means we gotta get up at five forty-five. It means we gotta get up at five thirty to we can walk, so we can't miss the bus to the New York International Auto Show. Yeah. And now it's like, it was, eh. Not we'll, really. well, maybe we'll go. Maybe we won't. Maybe Probably. I don't uh, know. Like, who we, else is going? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that type of thing of like, who else is gonna be there? Yeah. What else is gonna be there? You know, because they right. send you the program only after you get approval, so mm -hmm. you don't know what's gonna be there beforehand, right? Um, but that first year, you know, bouncing up and down like Gene Belcher in the Bob's Burgers intro. He's just like, oh, excitement. <laughs> Gotta get going. Mm. Yeah, I hear Farrah talk about SEMA, how he's over it, and most of the car journalists are over going to a car show. 
I mean, it'd be neat to have to take someone who's never been to a, a, a almost a trade manufacturer's car show and watch and enjoy it through their eyes. Yeah. My boom is drooping again. Crank that thing down. I mean, I wish I could take my nephew to that type of thing, but only on like a press day. I wouldn't want to go on the day where everybody else is there. Yeah. And you can't take a nine-year-old on a press day, so no. there's really no point. But right. uh, I don't know. It's kind of this nice little... I don't know. Like, really, the only reason to go is networking, yeah. in a way, in that that's the only... Well, I was going to say it's the only time you can see the, you know, the Patrick Georges and the JF Musials of the world and the yeah. Leo Parentes yeah. hear their stories. But yeah. um, I don't know. The Jalopnik thing I, is so much, you know, that yeah. I guess you can do it there. We were, we were in a parking lot, and then a lot of people showed up, and they had to open a second parking lot, and it was a bit of a cluster F trying to get people into this second parking lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a cars and coffee style show. Mm. I hope there was a food truck there. There wasn't, but there was a dinosaur barbecue right across the street from the parking lot. So that was all right. Mm. The um, the most interesting car that I saw there that I didn't take a video of. There will be a video of it. Um, was a 1988 Buick Rietta, I think it's called which is Buick's little front-engine sort of sporty-ish type car with pop-up headlights. But the golden thing about the the early Buick Riettas is in 1988, it had a multifunction touchscreen hmm. in 88. And the way they did it was it's a cathode ray tube. The text is green. The background is black. That's it. It's very opening scene from Escape from New York, or it's oh, very Tron. Yes. Yeah. It's a legit, and it, and it's bright and it's crisp because it's a cathode ray tube. Yeah. And between the glass of the cathode ray tube and between your the, the human interface is a fine mesh screen and you can see it there's like little dots going across and that's what your finger makes contact with here i gotta look this thing up yeah because i think it's a rietta i forget how you pronounce it i think it was also offered in the buick regal or a different buick like 1980s car touchscreen and you'll be able to see it it's very difficult to use it's pointless and after a year or two or by 1990 they said Fuck this noise. We're not... No one... This is a dumb idea. As it continues to be to operate your... They wanted everything to be operated through this. Your radio, your fan controls, um, everything. Yep, that's that's the Rietta. People Um, will notice. I pulled up the advertisement for the Rietta. Yeah. It's a sleek-looking, very 80s-style car. You get in, has a typical Buick cheapness. The the, uh, the chrome GM rocker switches. Pardon me from drinking uh, some apple juice and ice through this very thin decorative glass that I got from my neighbor when she moved out. Hey, Brian, you want some glasses? Yeah. I don't think I've ever paid for flatware or cups or mugs in my life. Hmm. 36 years old, never bought a cup, never huh. bought a glass plate a single bit of silverware 
because we have plenty of dead relatives. <laughs> Gotta clean out grandma's house. Gotta clean out Aunt Hoobma's house. Yes. Do you need some? I have a full drawer full of flatware, and I have a second drawer that has a, just a big Tupperware bin that has just more knives, forks, and spoons. Hmm. Although I did buy my first set of cut, cutlery ever, I was telling you about it, where I bought sporks. Stainless steel sporks yeah. to eat my dinner bowl with. Mm. And they work and they're glorious. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> so, Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. Uh, people complain that it's an hour, 40, 40, two hours and 44 minutes necessary for the ambiance. I believe it. It's a love letter to noir. As the original Blade Runner was neo-noir, um, it hits all the points of a necessary noir movie. You have a main character thrust into a larger world through which he holds little sway. He is a little cog in a large machine that he only is discovering how big it is. Um, I won't I won't spoil it for you because I respect you too much for that <laughs> there the plot is not complex but as in all noir movies the plot isn't the point the point is the world yeah the point is to if you can feel the alienation and bewilderment of the detective as he starts discovering the case. And the deeper he gets in, the worse his life gets. Mm. Uh, and at the end, there is solace. It is a happy ending, as happy as a noir. You don't want a noir movie every... It's not noir if the ending is all rainbows and unicorns. Yeah. It's not that. You feel cheated. You're like, well, I guess everything's kind of okay. Yeah, the ending is usually something along the lines of a double indemnity where the guy makes the right choice, but it leads to his own damnation. Or, you know, uh, or forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. Like that type of thing. There is, I don't know if anybody else talked about it, there is a bunch of Chinatown moments mm. in this movie. Well, now, now I really want to see yeah. this. <laughs> and also... You know, when Jack Nicholas gets his nose cut, I think it was Roman Polanski. Is it Roman yeah, Polanski? Roman yeah, Polanski, Polanski and Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Ah, yeah. You're a curious little cat. <laughs> or, or curious little. They lose their noses. And then he has, like, stitches on his nose. Mm -hmm. There's um, the Ryan Gosling character toward the end of the movie. He's getting fucked up. Yeah. Um, like, beat up. And, like, the scars and stuff stay. And then he gets, like, his nose broken or something. And then there's, through the end of the movie, he just has this bandage on his broken nose. Mm. I'm like, ah, oh, it's a little bit of Chinatown. And, uh... Um... My only gripe was the gripe with the AMC theater that I saw. They they had the audio cranked mm. in there. And there were bits where whoever scored the movie, I forget... See, with the original Blade Runner, there was orchestral music. This is a dreamscape. This is a fantasy world, uh, especially within the Tyrell Corporation and, and the big uh, Voight Comtest yeah. in that movie. In this one, it is electronic music going on. And there's a lot of... You know how Inception had their blah sound? Yeah. 
This one had their <laughs> moments like, where it's just no <laughs> um, sound effects that mostly went along with the cars, and we'll get to that. But I'm like, Christ, that's loud. Yeah. I'm like, I wish I had. And I had. No, I didn't have earplugs. I got to start carrying earplugs when I go to the movies sometimes. Am I that old that it's that loud? And I don't need the muse. I, I like I like being immersed. Yeah. But I don't like being punished. Yeah. And there was that. Uh, it didn't have to be that loud. Yeah. Anyway. It would have been, I would have liked it better if there was some orchestral music, if, if it was real instruments, um, uh, uh, synthetic music can be nice. And now we're getting into all oh, replicants yeah. and everything. They can be nice, but they're not the real thing. Yeah. 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 It's a shame she won't live, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. Right. But, uh, you know, who really does? But the, the, the it wasn't the original just like a mixture of orchestral and synth from uh, Vangelis, the guy who did. Uh... That's completely different. Vangelis is a genius. Yeah. That's definitely and it's softer music. It's gentler music. This is a jarring soundtrack. I get its point because I feel the author. And I can't pronounce the director's name. Oh, Denis Villeneuve. It's like <laughs> the most cafe lit name. <laughs> cafe but, uh, No, but I love his work. It's yeah. great stuff. Um, wants us to feel the the alienation and disposability of the Ryan Gosling character of Detective K, yeah. which I kept thinking of K2SO from Star Wars, but. I guess he's officer serial number K something, something, something. Yeah. Cause they come right out in the front and said, he's a replicant. Oh, and nice. Oh, you didn't know that. Well, no, I, I don't care. Oh, okay. You know, like it, this is all establish it in the first scene. Yeah. That he's an, a replicant. That's not really. Yeah. yeah. If they establish it in like the first five minutes, you know, yeah. it's, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so there are long tracking shots. There are long, long establishing shots, mm. which people in the reviews say it doesn't have to be this long. Every scene has, has this big sweeping establishing shots. The world is so much bigger in noir than the detective. Yeah. Um, the world is a character. Yes. In noir. Yes. Yeah. The Los Angeles of 2040, 2049? 2049. Yeah. 2049 is so much larger than the character. And he, you're meant to feel how little power he has to change his world. Mm. But he has his moments where he discovers things about himself that means things to him. Um, lonely people trying to find meaning in their lives. And... and I don't want to spoil it too much, but you also feel that the, the the genuine humans in the movie are as disposable as the replicants. Mm. Um, I don't think Harrison Ford was necessary in this movie. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that. Uh, well, not really complaint criticism. Uh, I've read it in other places. Of it, it was nice to have him. Yeah, but. In much the same way, it's nice to have Harrison Ford in general, you know? Yeah. The movie could have had the same impact on me if it was a different character 
in the Deckard role. Or if Deckard didn't really need to be there. I appreciated seeing the original prop gun being used again. I felt, I wonder if it, I wonder if Harrison Ford is that weak that he can't hold the gun steady. (laughs) Or if that was a, if, if everything there is supposed to be there. Yeah. Then maybe okay, the gun was wobbling or shaking a little bit in the hand in the big reveal of it's Deckard, and that his original gun is now weak in his hand. Yeah. Okay, maybe. Um, well, he's spectacularly old, but for someone who's still presented as a pseudo action star, but mm-hmm. he's a very active person. He yeah, was recently yeah. in the news about saving this lady after a car accident. Really? Um, I didn't read the whole article. Oh. Um, but, and then, uh, last year he was in that plane crash because he's, a, I didn't know am- that he was, a, he's an amateur pilot. It was a relatively, uh, minor plane crash. So he was fine. Uh-huh. But it's one of those things where when you're in your late seventies, uh, yeah, do you really need to be flying? <laughs> you know, well, uh, tell that to my dad who's seventy three and still can fly. Oh, but does he still fly with sort of any regularity? No, because uh, this is, is sort of Harrison Ford when he has just giant piles of fu money. Yeah, and he buys. You know, he has these small aircraft, which is funny because after Star between Star Wars and Indiana Jones, this man does not have to do another movie for right. the rest of his life. But you know, he's still out there working and. I don't know. When I was young, and I always loved Harrison Ford, but as as a kid, I always thought, this is probably a guy who doesn't have any sense of humor. But now, at, the more I see of him, you know, I realize that he's kind of has a pretty good sense of humor about himself. Mm-hmm. That he's not so achingly self-serious like a Johnny Depp or a Denzel Washington. Right. But, yeah, so that's what I... He was the most comedic character in that movie. Mm. And there was some jokes that he threw. Mm. Um uh, the car itself, the police car, and this is a car guy moment, mm-hmm. when it landed once, uh, it's, uh, the manufacturer says Peugeot on it. Mm. 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 Okay, European, there are Peugeot police cars, but why is Peugeot manufacturing things in the United States in this alternate Los Angeles 2049. Um, there were plenty of Sony. It would If it said Honda, I would totally get it because there's a lot of the, the Japanese characters and Japanese influence is always there in the first one and it's here again in 2049. Yeah. If it said Honda, Toyota, even Mitsubishi, I'd allow, even though they're on the ropes. Um, it'd be badass if it said AutoZam on the back. <laughs> that would have been kick ass if it said AutoZam. Automatic five stars. Yeah. yeah. There is another um, noir moment. There's also the photograph, like the evidence, um, the damning photograph. And there is that trope in here. Um, But within that photograph, there's like a person and a tree and which are the things. But half cropped out of the back is a car. Hmm. And... I'm trying to figure out what that car was. Now, it it could have been just some digital render because it's a blurry photograph and you can put whatever you want there. And I really should have gone online and looked. It had 
elements of the Aston Martin Lagonda, mm. which that's my first thought of it. it. It was like a wide body car with narrow taillights. It's facing away from the uh, the camera. Anyway, I'm sure someone has already figured it out. Probably. So, I I could see that again. Uh the Jared Leto role was equally tiny mm. in the same way as he was as the Joker. Yeah. You think there's going to be a lot of Jared Leto? There isn't. Yeah. Um, Jared Leto is doled out in small portions. <laughs> um, Pretty much. Uh, um, it's Jared Leto being Jared Leto. Kind of creepy, but not quite Jack Nicholas. Not Jack kind of creepy but you like him anyway Mm. Eh. that's a guy who seems kind of super self-serious and who i i just can't imagine him having a sense of humor about himself he played a character exactly like that who saw himself as a as a messiah and who proselytized throughout the movie very well i might add is a very well-written role for leto um uh, there isn't a whole lot of dialogue in the movie. I think the Leto, Leto character had the most dialogue because he would just come into the screen and start rambling because he's the, the, the rich manufacturer of the the new replicants in the movie. Uh, he's like the genius. Um, uh, the uh, I, I just keep saying Ryan Gosling. So the Ryan Gosling detective, he has a a artificial intelligence girlfriend uh, who's like manufactured also by the Wallace Corporation which mm-hmm. is the Jared Leto's company or the, that's something Wallace anyway which absorbed the Tyrell Corporation yeah, after. after the blackout of 2022 or something yeah um, which I which which was th- th- there was there's uh, a, a uh, cartoon which explains the blackout, which I didn't watch yet, which I think we'll watch after this, just to get it over with. Um, mm, the Peugeot police car takes a beating throughout the movie, um, which the well-worn joke with that is like, oh, I guess it's not really a Peugeot if it won't stop. <laughs> anyway, what movie did you see? Oh, well, this feeds into the larger sort of chaos surrounding my Thanksgiving because I got a call from my mom at like one in the morning the day before we were going to leave. Basically, I spend my Thanksgivings the whole weekend with my sister and her kids Mm -hmm. and, you know, her husband, like the whole family. And so uh, my mom, we were all going in her Chevy Malibu because it was her 2002 Chevy Mm -hmm. Malibu because you know, she freaks out when any of her kids drive her anywhere. So it's just like, okay, okay, ma, fine. And um, she has to drive. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so uh, she packed the car the night before, but apparently left it in a place where uh, sort of a zone that she wasn't supposed to park in. So we got towed. I get this call. She's super freaked out about everything because now she doesn't. You know, basically, it's this whole long thing about we have to go to the towing uh, company and get the car back before we can go anywhere. So we we ended up being something like four hours late the next morning because we had to go get the car, come back, 
go around and pick everyone up that was coming with us, like my brother and my grandmother and everything, and just pile into this car, this small car relative to, you know, the clothes and whatnot that we were bringing with us, or and the sleep stuff. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we did the usual, uh, you know, the Thanksgiving, the Black Friday. Well, not for shopping, but to take, like, Santa pictures mm-hmm. with the kids. And then after that, we went to go see um, Disney Pixar's Coco, which, okay, so I, it's been a while since uh, a Pixar movie has really gotten to me, um, or any animated movie has really gotten to me, because Pixar has kind of fallen off a bit recently, ever since they started doing sequels, although I am looking forward to The Incredibles too. Uh, but with Coco, it's basically about this kid who... Um, looks up to this what's funny is they never really say when it takes place but it's this little boy who uh idolizes this mexican singer well he's a mexican boy but he idolizes a singer named de la cruz who's a guitarist as well and so he basically keeps all these old vhs tapes of de la cruz in this little shrine in his room because his family doesn't like music and doesn't want him playing it at all and it's one of those things of, you know, he ends up crossing over to the land of the dead during uh, Dia de los Muertos and mm-hmm. you know, like the Day of the Dead. And it, basically, it's one of those things where uh, I thought I was just going to be in for this sort of, um, you know, easy breezy type of thing. And holy shit, I have not cried that hard at a movie really? in years. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Like, just disgusting man tears it was so bad and basically my family we were sat in um because it was reserved seating because of course it was and uh there were we basically had to take four seats in one side of the back of the theater and four seats on the other side so we were four and four and after the theater like we went to go meet up like in the middle of the theater after we tossed all our stuff and just like all of us had puffy red eyes like we were all destroyed by this movie it was and the thing is is that like the climax is kind of the tear jerkiest thing and i made it through that and i'm like oh okay i'm i'm good and then there's a part in the denouement like the sort of you know falling action where there's an extra bit of heartstring tugging and I was just so done. I was so done. It was just a complete mess. And I don't know. I, it was one of my favorite movies of the year. Mm. And uh, it's one of those movies that isn't just great from a story and writing perspective, but also visually because basically the land of the dead that they've constructed is just one of the most visually stunning mm. pieces of animation that mm. Disney Pixar has come up with. And, uh, I don't know. It was just so what music is wonderful. Visually, it's wonderful. Writing is great. Uh, the only thing that bugged me is that there's this like half hour frozen short that plays in front of it. And well, I, I can kind of understand why they did it in the sense that they're afraid that this movie isn't going to sell. And so they got to slam frozen into the beginning of it. But the problem is that they never advertise that (laughs) this is going to have a frozen short, or or at least in the theater I went to. And, um, and also it was basically sort of this glorified Christmas special for, you know, 
ABC Family or whatever mm. the channel is now, Freeform. And so they threw it in the middle of there and it just sort of keeps going because every short that plays, there's a short film in front of every Pixar movie that plays theatrically. But uh, at, eventually there, there are only like five to ten minutes tops. Mm. And this one was nearly triple that length. And it's just like, you're getting restless because the movie starts somewhere around between trailers and commercials and then the short somewhere around 45 minutes after the start time for the movie that was listed in the on the website mm-hmm. and so it's just this incredibly obnoxious thing and you know kids are getting restless because you know i don't know it's just I get that Frozen was this massive thing for them and that when Frozen 2 comes out in like, I don't know when, I think it's still like two years off, but the advertising for that's going to, going to be intolerable. Mm. But for now, I just think it's kind of cooled off, no pun intended, to the point where, you know, just get on with the movie. We're here to see. Yeah. <laughs> Not Frozen. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that was just fantastic like it was a great movie in a different way from blade runner i right. imagine but um i could couldn't imagine how um a kid could sit through blade runner oh no it can't like, be done nothing's happening nothing's happening nothing's happening yes but everything's happening yeah yeah because at that age you're not sort of and this is very like you know hoity-toity but you're not at that age where you can sort of view it through a critical lens Mm -hmm. in that, you know, the original Blade Runner, it has this incredible cult reputation, Mm -hmm. but the issue is that not a whole lot is happening from a pure action standpoint. Oh yeah. Yeah. But at, I mean, just like, like you said, like everything is happening. Yeah. You know, it's, there's not going to be a whole lot of running and gunning. Like, sure, there's that part where, you know, Decker shoots the one replicant model who's running away and everything. And, you know, other little action scenes here and there, but it's not really about uh, action for action's sake. And that's probably why it didn't do too well on its own time. And by the same token, this didn't do too well either relative to what it cost to make. Because this was a... uh, something like a nine figure budget and mm-hmm. every single red cent is up on that screen. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's the profit margins and all that other stuff. Right. They tried to have an action climax. Yeah. Which it did work. Um, there are criticisms about the portrayal of women in this. Mm. Um, Every single woman uh, is sexualized. Um, maybe with the exception of the police lieutenant, the chief, or K's superior. Um, but there, there definitely is a lot of heterosexuality, a lot of boobs in this movie. Um, uh, synthetic dick, not <laughs> real there's no full frontal, but there is a spot. I think it was in maybe some of the trailers that you could watch online or like someone put up where they're walking through the, the Wallace Corporation and seeing like previous models on display. 
and you know well you know they're like they're like some guy and it's it's like a, a very neutral body but there is dick and balls oh so but, gosling doesn't hang dong no eh. well i'll see it anyway no yeah <laughs> the uh um so the, sort of uh to, to to change topics real quick because i just popped into my head so Basically, I don't have cable anymore, but my sister does. Mm-hmm. And so while we were over at that place, they started playing the, uh, even though it's New Jersey, they started playing the Pennsylvania Lottery Christmas ad. Nice. You know, this holiday season. Yep. And, you know, it's, and apparently, and I knew about this, but I keep forgetting every year until I see the commercial again, mm-hmm. is that they've essentially refilmed parts of that commercial to sort of update it because the games keep changing every year. Okay. You know, uh, five cash, fives. That's the only thing that remains yeah, consistent yeah, yeah. throughout. Four big fours, three daily and numbers, numbers, two instant mega- games. Yeah, oh, but now fuck, it's like I two, know that. two mega million. Well, I mean, that's part and parcel of being uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I that, know that jingle. You know that. Come gamble for the state. <laughs> what Commonwealth. a gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shaking the hand with both hands. Um which I mean, if you gave me lottery tickets for Christmas, like what? Why would you? Why? Right. <laughs> but uh, it's that type of thing where. Thanks, Uncle McCungie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's at the part where I feel the commercial. It's this Franken commercial where yeah. it's more the reshot parts than actually the original parts yeah. now. So to the point where why would you not just refilm the whole commercial? Yeah. But some of them appear to be the same actors, except I would imagine the old man who's getting the tickets, who I would presume has died just because he was old when that commercial came out. And I was a little kid when that commercial came out, mm-hmm. not beyond the realm of possibility that he's still alive, but it's one of those weird, uh, Pennsylvania traditions, sort of like Gus, the second most famous groundhog. in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. It's all this weird, you know, I don't know all these weird lottery gimmicks of to what extent do you need to really push the lottery? You know, uh, how, yeah. How, what, in what state is the budget? Yeah. Tom Wolf. It's kind of like, uh, uh, but hey, props to Tom Wolf because he got the uh, Pennsylvania medical cannabis program. He pushed that through. It's in a pilot state right now, but it's in. Foots yeah. in the door. Mm. There's no backing that thing out. Yeah. Once it's in, it's in. So, my knee hurts. Yeah, yeah. I need to. I well, I need to get. There's any number of things that I could probably claim to get mar- medical marijuana just because. Yeah. I have a lot of old injuries from my old uh wrestling days Mm. and uh from the old part of the weight training thing because i used to squat i think my max was like 305 Mm -hmm. and that was one of those things where i sort of pulled something in my back and for whatever reason it just it's always there yeah and i mean i've gotten it checked out they don't see anything it's kind of like the weird costochondritis thing where it's like Mm, it's yeah but um yeah, my patella is weak on the right knee. It's not at the point where it's constructive surgery, but sometimes I need to wear a knee brace on my right knee because, you know, it hurts. Like if I'm driving for a while, that's the big thing. And my knee's in one one spot all the time, it hurts top and bottom. Mm. So the alternative is to – I think when we were on like the Denver road trip or when we went out to Colorado, I was there with the Icy Hot just trying to smear it on my knee and, uh, you know, popping pain pills. Just mm. to deal with that. 
Not that I would drive while high. I'm just talking about... Like, yeah, when we get back bad. to the hotel. Yeah. 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 Well, well, CBD. That and I... Hell, I wanted to take something too when we were in Omaha around the Little League World Series and just all the noise, noise, He's noise. noise, drunk dads, women. There was... Uh, Jimmy there Buffett was. always... Like, <sighs> Jimmy Buffett wasn't there, but you got the feeling that, you know, if I go down to that bar right now, there's 20 bucks at Cheeseburger in Paradise is <laughs> playing. You know, oh Omaha, doing exactly what I thought you'd do. Yep, and the hall, uh, the floor we were on reeked of cigarette smoke, just yeah. completely lousy with cigarette smoke. Yeah. Do you have any rooms? Well, we got some, and they're on the smoking floor. I'm like wow. And then the cigarette smoke smell only started to dissipate towards the end of the hall, where it was replaced by a cheap orange scented air freshener mm-hmm, type smell. Mm-hmm. It was just very weird. Omaha. Um, so yeah. Uh, but it's I'm trying to think I feel like there was something else and I'm forgetting from my weird Thanksgiving experience although uh, I guess I have a mild crush on the New Jersey lottery girl Erica Young which is one of those strange things where uh, every time I go to New Jersey you know the New Jersey lotto is just it's, it has this weird, like, fairy music that plays underneath it of, like, mm-hmm. oh, so happy to play the lottery. Whereas Pennsylvania Lottery is more of, like, a a, a sporting event type music playing okay. underneath it. Like, yeah. And, uh... Variety show from 1979. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. You know, the Pennsylvania... Big sweaty actors and red noses. Yeah. You know, casual drinking. That's the one thing, like, yeah, you say people today are too gussied up in commercials and the makeup department's going crazy. But, man, you watch it. When you watch anything from the 70s, everybody is just sweaty and glistening. Yeah. And and the microphones are way smaller. They're like, I know. They're just uh, the Bob Barker pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, the yeah. thing is, you can get condensers and they work just fine as those are our, our lavier mics. I mean, as long as they're boosted, they're fine. Um, I don't think you'd get, you know, quite the low tones going through it that, that these mics would, but but they still work. I mean, a majority of TV, like the live TV and that bit I did with um, with Fusion Network, uh, were mic'd up, and the uh, the condensers themselves are about the size of an M&M's Mini. Mm-hmm. Um, they're fine. Uh, they, they pick stuff up. Did you uh, see that story of that guy who, I believe it's from Australia, but I'm not entirely sure. Well, I think the article that I read was from an Australian publication, but a guy who literally sold his left nut for a Nissan 370Z because he said, it's a serious car for serious drivers. No, It, it isn't. It was his dream car, and he sold his left nut for 35 grand, which... What? And here's the thing, is the article doesn't mention who would buy this man's left nut for 35... Who has... How big of an FU money... FU bank account? You gotta have, like, a Scrooge McDuck vault of just FU money to be able to say, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll take your left testicle for 35 grand. What are they good for? They, they, they They don't work outside of the body. I mean, it's for the novelty of, like, having a pickled jar of just like, hey, that's the guy's nut. A left nut. That's, that's... I uh, paid 35 grand for that. Wow. 
And I mean, I that was his dream car. And, uh, you know, you, more power to you. You know, if you live in they're, they're okay. I I put 370Zs. They were, they were really wild when I drove them in the very beginning of RCR where everything was new and wild. But now I'm like, eh, it's like that or a C6 Corvette. Pretty much the same thing. Mm. I mean, yeah, the 370Z is a little bit more revvy. Uh, definitely a tighter experience. The interior is nicer. The skip, sh- the um, the uh, the manual blipping that it does, like S Sport or something, where it'll blip the throttle in be- in between gears. That's neat. I rather have C six. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the I'll take the grunt over the high revving. Yeah, but uh... oh, you like the C six more than the uh, Stingray, the C seven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, li- I would like a C6. If you offered me one of these two cars, we'll give you a C7 or a C6. I'm like, eh, take the C6. Mm. Uh, the, the C7, eh, I, I mean, we'll give you a... I mean, a seven-speed transmission is going to be okay. I, I think I can see out of a C6 more. Mm. I, that could be another thing of me aging. I care more about outward visibility than I do about other things. I mean, I could af- afford to get a new, newer Forester or a newer car than, than what I got. But a second-gen Forester has great visibility all the time. And granted, the needs of the show pre were, were higher than my own needs. It had to be a car that I could see out of. It had big windows for filming. Um and the thing for the ratchet straps. Yeah, the yeah. Met- metal tie-downs for the ratchet straps. Oh, I did meet at the Jalopnik car show uh, a bunch of people whose cars we filmed, including... Oh, nice. Do you remember the day we went up to Centralia in the, in the winter in the snow? Vaguely. Were you there for that one? I think I was. The 97 uh, Subaru Outback? You've gone th- for multiple Centralia trips, and I know it was there for at least one of them. This is one where it big time started snowing. It snowed during the shoot and got really bad. You weren't there, that's yeah, I right. Wasn't there for I, the, I think I was there for the one with, uh, I forget, uh, the one where you filmed out the back, and it's just like a shot of like your legs in and, and then the dad shoes or whatever was that the jeep probably yeah okay anyway uh well i'm sorry dude i can't remember your name i remember your car i don't remember your name <laughs> the 97 subaru outback filmed in centralia the honda fit got stuck his buddy with a uh, toyota echo I don't think that got stuck, but he wasn't as brave as I was in my fit. And then there was this one moment with that old Subaru where uh, he says, go over there and just drive into that snowbank, like a small one, but definitely pretty like an unplowed area of this turnaround on this back road. He said, just just go in that deep snow over there and come to a complete stop. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now just put your foot down. Now, it was an automatic, but foot down, uh, and you felt uh, the automatic click in the rear gears because they, they work a little bit different if it's an automatic versus a manual. And it just, just right out of the snow. And it was that moment. I'm like, I'm going to have to see what this whole Subaru thing is all about. So uh, my Forester has new tires on it. Nush at Moyer's Car Care found me. They have, they have an agreement going on, like they're... 
their rep for hand cooked tires is they like him, so they push. They, they do push hand cooks at Moyers. Yeah. They will sell you other stuff, but their go tos are hand cooks. For the reason that Nush says, I've never had a problem with hand cook honoring their warranty. Mm. He said he had other brands down there that would fight him on the warranty when they tried to say, hey, we have a tread warranty here. He says Hankook has always been good for them. Yeah. So he says, hey, I have this all-weather tire with a 90,000-mile warranty. Right? That look, you're like, wait, what? 90,000-mile warranty on a set of tires. And he said, look, there are better tires that I could sell you, but this is 90,000, and I think they'll honor it. I don't know if I'll have that car for another. Like, I'm going to have to replace the head gaskets again. I mean, they were replaced before I bought the car, but the head gaskets will go again before that warranty will run out on the tires. I mean, I think I'll naturally wear those tires down, like in 40,000 miles, like most tires do. Yeah. But, like, if I get a puncture or anything, hey, we're going back. Yeah. Yeah, good. Honor that warranty. Yeah, don't write a warranty you're not willing to pony up for, That's crazy. That is, uh, I mean, it's an attractive offer, so I don't know. If I curb any of those tires really bad and I lose air, hey, nush. Uh, <laughs> let's get that warranty card going. Yeah. Um, so, uh, people were liking the Escalade review that uh, we did, primarily because it was a very negative review. Yeah. Like, you haven't gone negative in a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah. Now, the car that's coming out next week was overwhelmingly positive. I tried to be critical on it. I have to sneeze again. There we go. Oh, man. It's in that purgatory between. (laughs) Bless you. There we go. So, there was a weekend in December. I think you said you were busy for a Pittsburgh trip because there's um, two very regular cars um, that I want that, you know, I can't say what they are, but one that I'm looking for, like two of them in good condition that um, I'm willing to go back out and uh, get them. One is owned by Justin Lose, the same guy who had that Model T we reviewed. And another guy is over in Ohio, but maybe he'll drive to uh, Pittsburgh uh, to film that. The one thing about driving to Pittsburgh in the winter is that now we're in, we're almost in winter Pennsylvania where our usable daylight is like, like 11 a.m. until 3 p.m. Yeah. So if a Pittsburgh shoot would have to be three days, it would have to be one to drive out, one to shoot, one to come back. Because, bless you, um, is the it's five hours to Pittsburgh, and you're going to lose your daylight by the time you get there. Yeah. Unless you leave balls ass early in the morning, like five forty-five, so you could get there at like eleven forty-five, and, and then, then shoot, shoot to three, which is the kind of hell that we said we'd never duplicate after the Colorado trip mm-hmm. because we were getting to the location shooting going to bed and hitting the road again, again yeah. and it was kind of this weird thing where you'd wake up in the middle of the night at the hotel and forget which city you were in Yeah, it was kind of the rock star life but not the good part Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know but it's 
you know, and that, and you want to get up there one day for driving, shooting. Maybe you go out to dinner. You want to see Tim Strickler, and those, of course, you, you know, Tim Strickler, it's like yeah. you know, you want to set aside time for seeing mm-hmm. the people that you've yeah want to see. I guess. Yeah, and the drive back from Pittsburgh, for whatever the drive to someplace, you, you're a little bit amped. While the time you get by the time you get there, the drive back from anywhere is just ugh, I'm back. Ugh. Okay, my phone's buzzing to say it's almost time. We got time for a little bit for Ask RCR. Oh, yes, very much so, yes. We're it's... doing this because, again, as somebody showed me that there is a crossover thing, like an extra dongle, because that's where the money is, uh, that you can charge a GoPro and also have your line in for audio. But it may work for, I don't know if it, mine's a Hero 4. That one's for a Hero 5. It may only work for yours. All right. So... This one asks if either of us has considered writing fiction. And uh, do you have any advice for someone with the draft that I have ideas for, but as Hemingway said, is complete shit? Well, that's the point. The first draft of anything yeah. is shit. You, you, know, you put it away for a while and then you, you read it again and then you'll get more ideas. Uh, there, there's a reason novels take so long to write. I've written some fun stuff for myself. Um... It will go through multiple stages. Yeah. Write it out. I like my prose. I I write it f- to be spoken because that's my style, and also because I'm a horrible speller. It mm-hmm. comes out better if I read it than if you write it. <laughs> or yeah. it comes out better if I read it to you than if you read it yourself. Um. Uh. So my even even my descriptions of things sound like spoken word. That's my style. That may not be your style. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't discover my RCR voice until like after grad school, or there were little bits of it after working at the radio station where I started to find my voice. As um, what Lewis Black said about comedy, he said it took him thirty five years yeah. uh, to find his voice. Well, with mine, it's kind of I, – I would write fiction all the time because I was always – you know, I always had my head in stories about different things and for different reasons. It was funny. In late teens, early 20s, my move with uh, the opposite sex was to write them a short story for their birthday. And Whoa. I swear, this worked like gangbusters. Really? And I, I shouldn't be saying this because some of them... <laughs> like, it, it, but the whole point is that, you know, if you if you fictionalize their lives... and Because I would take... The, you know, th- this was... You know, I've done it with, I think, three or four separate people. And, you know, decent success rate. But the point is that... You're taking a story and sort of, uh, or taking a person's life and turning it into something that is a bit more um, glamorous than it is. Well, it's not necessarily glamorous. It's just more, more is happening. You're dramatizing the things that already happen. So, you know, if I have someone who is kind of in a situation where uh, they, they're not that happy uh with their romantic life, you know, you write them a better one or that type of thing, or you just make a, a, write a short story about your friendship with that person, you know, and that's nice too. Yeah. Or write a story about, you know, maybe how 
their family life isn't or maybe their family doesn't understand them that much but they still love each other at the Mm -hmm. end you know that type of thing the stories were about all types of things some of them were completely just fantasy nonsense of you know oh here's an adventure we're going on a road trip or you know we got to go punch someone in the mouth like that type of thing really It's, it's just like weird stuff but it would take up so much of my time because I know their birthday would be coming. Mm-hmm. And so I would have like a bunch of uh, undergrad work <laughs> that I had to do. And I'm just like, and like doing two things at once because I was like that. Well, I was flat broke at the time. So what could I offer people? Okay. But a story? Yeah. But, but then you find out that people actually sort of enjoy it. And I'm like, shit, I should do this for everybody. And then once you get to a point where, you have a lot of friends, you realize that's not tenable at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you just do it for the people you're really into yeah. and, oh, well, th- and who you're really close with. Because it's it's not all about, you know, you know, getting with people. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like the friends are great and mm-hmm. I love having them. But like in your early 20s, that's what you're that's what's at the forefront of your mind for right. bad reasons. <laughs> well, yeah. Not bad reasons. But, you know, it's, it's just... The unavoidable reasons. The unavoidable reasons. The reasons that happen. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, yeah, I would consider writing fiction. It's just there's no time. And also, yeah. you know, the difficulty in getting published is huge. Even though we're at a point in time where anyone could self-publish, but, like, I don't want to self-publish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to have, you know... I, I want to get an advance or or, yeah. you know, or get that type of thing where I go into a bookstore and see it there and it has my name on it. Yeah. Like, hey, look at that. Yeah, I wrote it. Behold my exclusivity. Yeah. How are um, you doing on time? We may only have room for one question. All right. Well, this yeah. one, this one's a pretty this, this one's a pretty easy one. It's um, if you were to fill up a sixty minute cassette tape with vaporwave, what would be on it? Well, I'm gonna have to do this. Uh, and by the way, if this if this audio stream cuts out, or the, at least the video stream cuts out, that's because the GoPro ran out of battery. But I think that the uh, Zoom H4 will keep going. Yeah. The I'm going to have to do this because I'm going to have to make at least a mix MP3 file for the trip to New Zealand of all Vaporwave. So I would not include anything from Flower Shop because it's been done to death. Your aesthetic may vary. It would have a lot of Weather Channel themed things. And thank you for everybody who liked uh, the Weather Channel video. It was my love letter to 1990s Weather Channel. Oh, maybe, maybe I'll do. Maybe it'll be a yearly thing or something. It, it was. It was a lot of fun for me to make. It yeah. was definitely hard to read uh, all of that stuff at length. And you heard me making mistakes and I just sort of owned them, and you know, yeah. kept the mistake going for fun. It would also have this delightful BBC segment that I'm only realizing exists now called the shipping report Hmm. i didn't know that that was a thing and it's been going on since time and memorial (laughs) which that they're reading like the sea conditions at all the different sea areas around the british isles and ireland and i think spain and stuff that was really important in 18 i don't care but (laughs) now but they keep it going because because it's like a it's like a moral version of dare you know 
are mad like mothers against drunk oh, driving yeah. and like dare is something drugs or something the thing i love about dare is that it has a 100 percent failure rate <laughs> and yet money just gets pumped into it every year because dare kind of like the truth.com ads which were yeah. super smug yeah and made you want to smoke up all the time yeah, just yeah. to avoid being that way yeah and like no one knows, of course us because mm, friggin' should have good pod, not sucking on ice cubes while I talk. No one knows what these places are, these C sections around in the UK, especially Yanks listening to it. But there was a good write up or a little quote on the Wikipedia page, I'm like what is up with this shipping report? And it has nothing to do with shipping packages it's like the act of shipping <laughs> this sailing i thought it would make more sense as as to, to be about a sailing report but i guess that only includes like sportsman things so wait is it literally just a report about the sea conditions oh all right and it's very austere uh, it's very calm and collected and it's also preluded by a nice calming music and it always airs sometime after midnight hmm. um that sounds delightful and then i asked tom clark about it and he said oh yeah we used to listen to that on the way back from band shows like when we were doing gigs in the beginning of when they were touring with the enemy it's like that was amazing yeah. listening to that that's uh, i suppose one of the uh english touchstones or, or or uk touchstones that everybody loves and i don't know if we really have a version of that we may have your local forecast mm. on the weather accurate and dependable on the weather <laughs> channel and now you're local on the eights ah there is no politics there's no talk of uh scandals it's not even news it's just the weather the hard, That's unchallengeable it. facts of the weather. Yes. Just this will always be. The mm. barometer is holding steady at ah. <laughs> the high today will be twenty-three degrees. The low fifteen. Winds west northwest at ten miles an hour. And it's no matter what's going on, there is only the weather. And there's a lament to it because now the Weather Channel tried to be extreme weather. Yeah. And I've used this joke so many times, but some Midwestern housewife, tears running down her face as her house floats away on the floodplain. Yeah. This is a test from Jesus, you know. <laughs> because we have to make sense of all this. Right. You know, but yeah. I feel like the Weather Channel declines the more programming that they have without saxophones underneath it. Yes. You need yeah. more. You need that smooth, Ooh, silky jazz. jazz. Yeah, just Come get it under the back. I don't care about the disasters. What's how is this affecting me? And it's also your local weather. Yeah. We're looking out for you. We care about you. Yeah. We're not after ratings. We just want to help you out. And on that note, I think we have a podcast. Yes, we do. Yeah. So thanks for hanging out with us this week. I'm Nick. I'm Brian. And have a good week. You too.